Welcome to episode nine, the final episode, in fact, of season one of the People and Performance podcast. I am your only host today, Bill Bannum, because my wonderful co-host, Christopher Bjorling, is actually the guest today. I am going to pose some questions to Chris uh, as we look back on the episodes that we have recorded in, in season one. So this is very much a reflections episode if you like um, where I'll be I'll be uh, picking Chris's brains about some of the lessons that he learned uh, from from talking with some pretty awesome guests over the course of season one and uh, good news for you listeners I know you can't get enough of this fabulous new podcast so the good news is we're going to be back again from September 2021 with season two and there's going to be lots and lots of more content to come Hey, Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Bill, thank you very much. It is so different sitting on this side of the table right now. I'm, I'm nervous. You should be. You should be because I, can, I can't go too easy on you. I, <laughs> I believe that. So what we're going to do today, we're going we're gonna to approach this in kind of a structured, formatted way. And um, we're going we're gonna to tease from you what, what are your two or three biggest takeaways from each of the episodes and, and, and why that is. And as, as part of that as well, I'm going to invite you to perhaps share what are, what are you and what are the, the team over at Fidelo doing to help HR pros, talent pros and leaders in that particular area. Okay, so let's start with episode two, because episode one, listeners, was the uh, was the intro episode. So that was just Chris and I setting things up. So let's start with episode two. And that one was with Keris Hogardi. Uh, who's based in beautiful British Columbia and uh, Vancouver. And she's she's the vice president of People Services North America at Colliers International. And each of the episodes, by the way, is is hoping to try and take an employee life cycle chronological approach to, to workforce planning. So in the case of uh, Keris, we were looking at uh, topics such as what the labor market looks like right now, what are the challenges for hiring, how to step up. Uh, in terms of uh, projecting an awesome employer brand in in a in a time when it is so difficult to to attract uh, top talent. So, Chris, looking at episode two with with Keris, maybe maybe you can share what your two or three biggest takeaways from the episode were, and and what are you and the Fidelo team doing to help HR pros, talent pros, and leaders in that area? Well, if I could step back for one second and just give a big shout out to everybody who participated this uh, during this season, there was a lot of great learning that could could occur if you if you sat and listened to all the modules and to listen to the different nuances from person to person. If they some of them touch the same topics, but when you you look at it, it's kind of almost a shame that we're only picking a couple. But you know, I understand for the sake of our timing, it's there. I encourage anybody to go back. And if you haven't listened yet, listen to some of these other ones, specifically when we hit some of the high points for them. Uh, you know, but with Karis, Karis was, was fun, energetic. And, and we did her early in the series. And we were just starting the rollout from the pandemic being closed down. And, you know, we were talking about what is that, you know, the future of the employee look like? And, you know, is it a good place for them to, to market? Or is it a good place for the employer? And she just flat out pulled the rug out and said, you know what? It's right now. It is now. It is such a market for the um, prospective employee, the candidate, that it's it's important for them to understand and ask questions to get the right fit for the organization that they may want to choose to go to. Now, this sounds kind of weird when we're talking about an organizational perspective, but I wanted to highlight that because, you know, one of the key takeaways that I got from Karis was that she said, you know what? employers need to start being really proactive. No longer can you just post a job on board and, and expect, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 candidates that may, may be great matches for it. You need to start actively and being aggressive and, and starting starting your searches and your scans to try to pick up people that will, are going to fit your organization, that are that are great for the, the, the success that you're going to have based upon your brand, based upon the culture, based upon the performance factors you're going to need for those people. So, you know, that, that piece was great when she talked about just being proactive. And then in addition to that, she said, it looked in, look internally, you know why? Because a lot of the internal people are leaving, they're getting headhunted. They're seeing other opportunities for different pay scales for different opportunities on their own to perhaps broaden their career spectrum. So that concept of looking internally is really a key thing when I look at this in, in addition to being proactive. 
in the fact that we've got talent and are we treating them well? And if not, what can we do to treat them better? And how can we maintain and hold on to those, those great pieces of, of um, people talent that, that are going to make us successful over time? You know, and one of the aspects that she highlighted really well for it was you know, the employee brand. The employee brand needs to be focused and clear and authentic. And so when you're looking at the brand of an organization, in, in, in my summarization of her terms, you're really looking at what's, what are you doing to attract people? Why, why do people want to be with you? Why do they want to work with you? Why do they want to be part of your organization? Why do they want to be part of your team and experience those things? So it's the concept of getting your culture expressed and your values. There was a lot of statements on the values that you have. And when we look at the values and the culture, it really kind of defines the work environment that you want these workers to come to or to stay in. And so working those brand pieces are really important for you out there. And, and so those are some of the big takeaways that I had from there. A lot more other pieces, but those are some of the big ones there. But for us at Fidelo, we kind of help you or help organizations, you know, find that great candidate. So as you're starting to put together your pieces and you're starting to look for, you know, how can we market ourselves and how can we market jobs or how can we maintain and look internally and get people to ascend the career ladder for themselves or to be a successionary action by looking down the ladder and, and pulling people up, you know, so we help organizations identify and capture, you know, their, their essence of their culture, the values and the requisite skills that will really flesh out an employee brand. A lot of times companies big and small don't really focus on you know we know we have a culture but they don't know how to to market that or how to internalize that so that they can carry it forward with other things and so we do a lot of work with organizations that are helping to really pull out and, and express what their culture is in a way that makes it focused for the current employee plus the future employee and then also the values you know what why do i want to be here you know do we value integrity you know, are we a trusting organization? And the list goes on along those lines. So you, you kind of move it there. And, and what we found over the years of doing this is there was um, a baseball movie. Um, Bill's a baseball fan. So I'm going to pull up the baseball movie. It was, it was called For the Love of the Game. Uh, had Kevin Costner in it years ago. But he used the phrase, clear the mechanism. And in that game that or the movie that he was there by saying clear the mechanism, he just reduced the noise around things and was able to focus specifically on creating uh, a good pitch. And so this is a story of a guy who late in his career pitches a no hitter. So by clearing the mechanism, he removes the, the, the distractions that sometimes cloud your vision, cloud your understanding of things. And that's what we kind of do. We fundamentally can come in and not be distracted by the noise of the day to day, by the focus of things that are of the critical nature for the next, you know, 24 or 72 hours and really understand and define those pieces that are important for that great candidate. So that's kind of what we do, Bill, for in that line. But Karis was wonderful. Love to have her in, in a future season again to talk about more things as we as we go on. Karis is wonderful, Chris. I am a baseball fan. I did not know about for the love of the game. I, I think Kevin Costner is Field of Dreams as well, right? So he he's a yeah, he's all over. He's all over the baseball movies. There we go. <laughs> all, you should you should watch that one. It's a great one. It's a it's a fun one to watch. Noted. I'm going to check it out. See if it's on Netflix later on. Um, okay, let, let's move on to episode three then, um, which is with uh, Serge Boudreau, who is the founder and co-host of the popular recruitment and HR podcast, The Recruitment Flex. Yours truly has been a guest on it, so um, do do check it out just for laughs, if nothing else. Um, and, and Serge is an awesome guy. He's very charismatic. He's He's been uh, on the TA side, on the talent attraction side, and, and on the talent management side for, for a number of years. And um, uh, that, that's given him a, a platform now to, to start his own podcast and whatnot as well. And, and in that conversation, we focused on how we can use job profiles in ways that recognize the changes brought on by a post-pandemic approach to employment. And it is very different to, to what was out there before. So same sort of question for you again, Chris, um, in, in terms of what what are your two or three biggest takeaways from episode three with, with Serge? I, I'd love to, I'd love to hear from you now, you know, what, what really, um, what, what really struck home for you. And in, in addition, again, what, what are you guys at Fidelo doing to help 
HR talent and leaders in in that area of of job, job profiles and job descriptions. Certainly. You know, we gave Serge this topic of job profiles, and that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, it's kind of like uh, it, I'll do some presentations where I throw up a picture or, of a dog and or ask people to think of a dog. And, you know, if you think of a dog, you can think of a big dog, a little dog, a barking dog, a quiet dog, you know, goofy looking dog. There's a variety of things just with a three letter word. So the concept of a job profile when we, when we introduced it to Serge, you know, it could go different ways. And he kind of put it into some great pieces. And I, and I like the way he broke it down. Um, first, he calls it, it's a journey. So you start with a profile, you move the profile to a description, and then you create an advertisement for it. Because this is, his piece was around uh, marketing for positions and for recruitment activities along those lines. So as you looked at it, you know, you think, oh, wow, that's really a great way to focus on it. Now, he focused on the concept that the profile is really the skills, knowledge and behaviors or the attributes associated with it, with the position. And that's in his world, it's done by the hiring manager because, you know, he thinks they, they know the competencies. And so it's like, OK, starting at the core fundamental area, let me know what that person needs to look like and be, you know, as we're looking at that stuff. So that's the focus of the profile for him. And then you move it into a job description, which is more around the polishment of it, the taking it by an HR professional and pulling it together and packaging it with all the legalese and all that other kind of fun stuff that fun. Yeah, that's a great term. Anyway, a lot of the fun stuff associated with the job description, just to just to formalize it and and put it out there and and have it in your um, tool set as you go forward to seek a candidate. And then the nice thing that he did and he talked about that I thought was just really fun was a job ad. He later talked about, you know, doing some visual job ads and the busy recruiter and, you know, the opportunity to put a job description or a job posting that you have that online into more of an advertisement, uh, you know, a visual thing. As he referred to it, he called it the, the, the cereal box you're looking at the front page of the cereal box you know so for me that could be um, rice krispie treats or tony the tiger well i guess he's in your gas tank who is the cornflakes i don't know anyway frosted cornflakes anyway um but you have that just appeal that that curbside appeal and it drives the focus of people coming into it and seeing it and then you kind of put the side information on which is the the profile and the fleshed out job description that's there and so having that information available in this job ad and then adding to it the reason why people should work for you and show the proof if you are a highly diverse organization show numbers if you believe in and i think this is kind of a direct paraphrase if you believe in you know having on-site health care or uh, child care you know show the center talk about it do those types of things make you yourself differentiate with your posting through this ad process. So it's really a great concept. If you haven't listened to it, I think you should go back and, and, and listen to it some more. But we, we always ask a question at the end. And there's a section in there that I really liked that when we asked him, you know, what, what's a high performing company to you? Um, and he came back and some of his points were focusing on the outcomes and then providing resources to make people successful and then holding people accountable for their outputs and the culture of the organization. So those three kind of things are really, you know, core to not only taking the job description, getting a person into the organization and then, you know, onboarding them and bringing them along the line, but really kind of, you know, when you look back at the job description itself, focus on the outcome. What, what should this person be doing? So it's not a surprise for a person when they walk through the door and then being held accountable for it. And, a lot of people like accountability more than most people understand. So I think that's those are wonderful points from him. But we at Fidelo, you know, we kind of use the job profiling journey that, as Serge calls it, and you kind of come in, we'll do a lot of work with competency-based profiles for an organization, you know, defining those skills, knowledges, and behavioral terms and putting it out there. Uh, we think, well, it can be done by a hiring manager. Sometimes it's really tough to do. If you just say, hey, you know, profile that person over there, they don't really necessarily have the right tool set for it. So we we look to help create tool sets that allow the frontline managers and, and HR professionals to really profile those information pieces to understand what the behavioral competencies are and pulling it together, you know. And then also we can help 
putting the pieces together and flushing it out further into that job description. We've done all this type of work for large companies, small companies, and in part, kind of like what I talked about with Keras, sometimes you don't see it um, because you're too much into the day-to-day. So having that step back or us stepping in and looking at it gives us the advantage to to really drive home some great resources for you to work with as you, as you proceed. And then, you know, I, I want to focus on the outcomes and the accountability. A lot of times when we, we come in and help an organization with tools or processes, you're looking at an outcome-based approach to creating a process. What are we, what are we doing? Why are we doing this and, and wanting to do it efficiently? And what's our outcome when we get to that point? So a lot of that process development to get to a, uh, productive outcome and hold people accountable along the way. But most importantly, a lot of what we do inside of those processes and accountabilities, we look to enable them for their success. You know, it could be a career mapping, it could be development planning, uh, and it could be a lot of different things. And also as the organization grows, those needs change and those opportunities change. And so we often, you know, set up evergreen approaches to redefine and to, to move people along, not from just a job profiling, job description, job ad, but also to, you know, what do you do when the person's in the company? And it's kind of fun. So that's where we are. Chris, you and I are really lucky to have some awesome guests on season one. Uh, and uh, one, one of my favorites was Matthew Hamilton, uh, who is the head of HR strategy and people analytics at, at Protective Life. And the reason why he's one of my favorites is, um, he's a big believer that the best performing companies put people data at the heart of their HR decisions. And, and he's had, he's had a lot of success. Um, so he joined protective life to help them build data driven capabilities and in, in their own HR department and to take their performance to, to new levels. And this is on the back of being a helicopter pilot. I think he was in the military. He's just a really impressive guy. Um, so looking at, looking back at episode four, Chris, um, you, what were your two or three biggest takeaways from that episode with Matthew and why? And of course, in addition, what are you and Fidelo doing to, to help HR pros, talent pros and leaders in, in, in the data area? Well, excellent. Well, first you stole my thunder. I was going to bring up the helicopter piece. I always think <laughs> it's cool. I, it, it just, it's just fun for me to think of somebody who can fly a helicopter. I just think it's probably one of the most difficult things. And that's probably because I'm just extremely naive. But it looks so fun where you can just go up, go down, go left, go right, do kind of whatever you want to, just moving your hands and, and your your arms. And uh, so that's kind of cool. So anyway, back into the article the, or the uh, podcast that we had that was really good for us That there is that, you know, we asked him, you know, in today's environment, because he kind of had an interesting path to getting into HR. You know, he started doing some things and they said, oh, you can work with numbers because of your your backgrounds and yeah, and and leadership, yeah. And so he kind of got shifted over in HR and then it's like, okay, well, how can you help us understand different things, different components that are out there and, and doing things? So the concept of, you know, providing analysis or, uh, you know, analytical skills or data analytics, as we call it today, really kind of, was kind of a, you know, he was a pioneer in his space for it. He wasn't necessarily hired for it. It wasn't his primary training, but he comes out and, you know, we asked him the question, you know, you know, what do you think about professional HR professionals now? Are, you know, cause he had referenced two different camps, you know, pure HR professionals and pure data analytic people. And he said, you know, really your HR professionals now need some good core analytical skills. And I think we're all seeing that and hearing that. And, um, I would concur just from the experience we've had as, you know, Fidelo work with organizations, you know, your senior leadership teams, they really want that. They want to understand strategy for HR and they also want to see results and they want to see that return on investment or the ability to be, do predictive analysis for, you know, hiring needs and, and workforce planning needs. So, but, you know, as he talked about it and he said, you know, really you need to come to with data facts to the conversation when you come in as an HR professional. And, and I, I think that is so true um, when you look at it and move it forward. And, you know, Bill asked him in our, in our interview, he said, you know, what metrics should you look at? And, he, and he's like, well, they are always changing and evolving. And, and we see that as well too, you know, because he said right now when we interviewed him, it's retention, you know, the resignation rate by high per, end performers, you know, the time off use, how long has it been since people took time off? 
And then, you know, of course, diversity, equity, and inclusion numbers. And are we having career paths? Are we, you know, creating the right opportunities for everybody and enabling them along the way? So, you know, those are some some hot metrics right now, especially as we're coming back out of the pandemic, or at least we hope we are. You know, we have this new strain coming through, but at least we hope we're moving forward from that. So, you know, but he does he does reference that they change and evolve, and I think that's important. You know, at Fidelo, what we've seen over the years is that we're trying to, or we're seeing the HR professional try to make that move from just being HR, understanding people, soft skills, so forth, more into the data analytics and the ability to use those um, numbers and activities and, and stuff, you know, similar to what Matthew was talking about um, for looking at different aspects of life, but also for how do we move forward? What kind of talent base do we have? You know, what are what are our opportunities to have people ready for a major expansion and growth opportunities? So at Fidelo, when we set up tools and processes, we, we ask a lot about, you know, what data is going to be required out of this to move forward. And a lot of times, unfortunately, some of our clients say, well, you know, they don't know, they can't articulate it. So we work with them and we talk with them about, you know, what it is, where is it going? Is it something we can capture if it's not something that they currently have? Can we add it to what we're doing, you know, and then can we then take and report off on it and do those types of things? And one of the benefits we've have um, is we have a very agile team. So if we create tools, we can also modify those tools rather quickly. So we can add new data structure components. We can add new report needs um, and really give the ability to have almost a real-time changing data analytical tool set for you to move forward with. And, you know, when we do that for our clients, it's really, it's really giving our HR people a great seat at the table because they're able to, to articulate well um, current state and potential future state by making some modifications and alterations, perhaps to processes and plans. So it's, it's really a great deal for everybody. If you haven't been involved with analytics yet, I encourage you to listen to this, this podcast. Um, and then also just invest some time in it. Okay, so let, let's continue on through our, our wonderful, magical mystery tour journey here today, Chris. And uh, let, let's let's talk about episode five. And that was with an absolute gent. Um, and I consider him to be a friend, although I've not known him all that long, but he's just such a nice guy. In fact, uh, you and I were invited onto his podcast recently as well. And we just got to chat about sports and leadership. And, and, and that's Russell Robinson, um, who is founder at Amplified Research and Consulting. He's also senior training and engagement advisor with the uh, with the US federal government. And in, in that conversation that we had with, with, with Russell, uh, he, he spoke about how, how to help employees find their voice and, and also the consequences when, when, uh, that doesn't happen, uh, to, to company culture, to productivity, to attrition rates, to, uh, presenteeism and absenteeism and so on and so forth. Um, so looking back on episode five, Chris, maybe you can share your two or three big takeaways from that, that chat with Russell and, and what you and Fidelo are doing at the moment to to help HR pros, talent pros, and leaders when it comes to helping their employees find their voice. Well, first of all, thank you for using a Beatles reference, knowing that you're British. <laughs> um, I'll give you another one. Let's just, you know, the magical mystery tour was yours, and let's just get on this magic bus and talk about Russell. Um, okay. You know, <laughs> quote the who. Um, we'll keep it all British right now. Uh, Russell was great. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed listening to him. I enjoyed our podcast with him. Uh, when you had to bug off, he and I talked for about an hour afterward. Uh, great personality, great individual, great thoughts. And, you know, when we look at this, uh, his experience lies in the federal government for the U.S., U.S. federal government, uh, with one of the agencies, and he gets to do a lot of different things there. But he also has an independent consulting group that he's working in and, 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 moving along as well. And plus he does his own podcasts and just a great guy, a lot of great thoughts. Um, if you get a chance to listen to him, we, we encourage that. But the big piece that he had here is really talking about employee voice. So a lot of times we, in organizations, you know, we'll, we'll do surveying, you know, sometimes we survey people to death, you know, or at least it seems that way, you know, well, we'll do, you know, pulse surveys, climate surveys, you know, voice of the customer, and the list goes on along those lines. And 
NPS surveys, you know, and it goes there. But, you know, one of the things that he sedated, he really loves, he likes the pulse surveys. And the focus there, and, and it really resonated with me because we've seen it as well, is that in today's environment, especially, to, you know, now as we're coming through this pandemic and people are returning to work or they're working in a hybrid situation, you know, part-time in the office and part-time at home, you know, it, it, things are changing quickly. And so the concept of using a short pulse-based survey is really something that he loves to use in order to get that voice of the employee. And the voice of the employee is, what are they feeling now? How are they feeling? Um, and what are they doing? You know, so, you know, the opportunity for getting that quick understanding of where we are today can help move the organization through leadership modifications and plans, processes, actions, you know, the whole concept of change management. We'll talk about that a little bit later, you know, of monitoring the process, but also being able to pr provide uh, quick course correction as you move through that. So that voice is really, it's really good in there. And, you know, back to that point where I, I referenced a moment ago, which was, you know, sometimes we over survey, you know, he says he, his mind, he goes, we're not really over survey, we're under action. And I thought that was just a great statement because he probably articulated better than I've done with my clients over the years, because, you know, you don't just ask the employees for their opinion and then do nothing, you know, sooner or later, that's going to shut down. And we're going to talk about that next point from him, but you actually, you ask the employees for things and then action occurs and you start building a trust of, Hey, if I'm going to ask you and listen, and then take action, you know, I really value your opinion. So that concept of the employee voice is, is critical to really being able to gauge the temperature and move in the right direction, whether that's there. Um, you know, one of the other pieces that he talked about is the, you know, the under action component piece where all of a sudden the employees go silent. They stop providing survey responses. They don't do different things. They're not putting stuff out there. Um, and you're like, oh, okay, that's there. And, you know, he gave a great story about an airline and, and some different things based upon a cultural Im implication of, you know, we don't give upward feedback. So you don't question the, the captain as the, as the plane, you know, comes to a, its demise. But he, he kind of laid out for us why, you know, people remain silent. So he, here are those four points that he kind of listed for us. He goes, you know, first of all, leaders don't care. Uh, they don't want to hear our voice. That's kind of the feedback you're getting. It's back into that situation where they're not, they're asking, but nothing ever happens. You know, this one kind of flows with it. It's futile. Uh, they've done nothing in the past to really help us along the way. And then depending upon the way the survey goes, whether it's a climate or a pulse, you know, there can be retribution from direct line managers when they start looking at, you know, if you, if you do rating your manager. So all of a sudden it becomes awkward. Uh, to put stuff down because it could mean, you know, the, the, your life in that organization comes to an end and because you're, you're kind of muscled out. And I've actually seen that occur in, in some of these situations where we do more of a climate survey and there's a low trust factor and different things. And you can see retribution. So you try to, you know, as a surveyor, you try to move away from that, but it's, it's real. It's real for the aspect of silence. And then also the adverse impact on the per person's career. You know, even though you may not be forced out or full retribution, um, if you're kind of, you know, sometimes you have a very strongly driven personality based organization. And if that person becomes offended and you're on that side, that's kind of making the uh, offensive statements, whether they're right, wrong or indifferent, you kind of, you know, has an adverse impact impact in your career. So what do we do? I kind of wove a little bit of that in here, you know. We see similar when we run our survey tools, either pulse or climate, a lot of under actions that are there. So what we'd like to do whenever we're um, setting up questions or items with people when they're, when they're doing it, it's like, okay, what, what actions are you willing to take from this? You know, if you know you have a poor um, situation in your, you know, managers and their direct staff, number of direct staff, and the fact that it's going to impact um, some survey question, what are you going to do? Are you willing to reanalyze and add new managers to the mix to decrease the number of direct employees per manager or what? So we kind of start with that process and, and talk them down the line and say, look, you know, when you do this, all right, 
you need to build trust. This is an action. It's not just for you to see it once or once a year or once every two years and put it in a drawer and think, well, we did something that changed it. You need to be able to specifically focus. This is what I help our customers do on their actions in association to the items that they're asking, questions that they're asking and having them take action once they do. And then the other aspect of it is we help our clients focus on the communication of the results and those projected actions. Because again, sometimes a lot of organizations have it come. It's done. It's three months later, you get results back. Well, three months in today's age, that's an eternity almost, you know? Um, so we, we kind of make it so it's instantaneous and give you the ability to better those communication channels down the line. That's kind of what we kind of do in this area of of Russ's world and the employee voice. Yeah, and I think Russell, uh, he he gave an example of uh, a mean boss and how if if they're mean and they're not open to to feedback, even though if it's feedback that could improve the performance of... um, of your customer service for example then then ultimately things will fail and uh and the company will go down and i I don't know about you chris but i've had bosses like that in the past where you're just too terrified to go into their room but it's 2021 and it shouldn't be like that anymore and that's why we need people like russell who are espousing the virtues of listening to your people and and giving them a voice i've got a a great one i I just need to interrupt you for a second before we proceed on i once saw a manager and this is before i started my consulting company did a 360 so it was basically a a survey about how he was as a leader and he pulled everybody in the room like 20 people in the room i wasn't part of it but he was in in the area next to me and just said who would say this and he pointed at everybody did you say this did you and it was just kind of like wow that'll never happen again so it was a life lesson for me, you know, 30 some years ago that you really, you really have those good managers and you don't have those good managers sometimes. So yeah, it's a great point, Bill. But you can learn just as much from a bad manager, I think, uh, as a good one. Um, cool. I, I, I've been lucky to have uh, managers in my career who are awesome and they're encouraging and they, 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 they brought me on and they gave me lots of uh, um positivity and, and belief in myself and i learned certain things from them but i, I've, I also had bad managers who um you couldn't be complacent for, for five minutes you know because you were so fearful of them but um that 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 kept me on my toes but also of course when i moved into a management role myself after that i tried to take the best lessons from from the great managers and try and avoid some of the behaviors that i saw in in, in the worst ones right yeah, definitely. And, you know, here I am quoting a, a bad manager's experience from 30 some years ago, you know, and, and I'm not quoting the good manager's experience from 30 some years ago. So, yeah, it's interesting. Okay, now let's talk about someone else who is a great leader, uh, a, a great human being, someone I love. And why do I love him? Because um, not only does he have lots of interesting things to say, he also does a lot of awesome things in his personal life, helping a lot of cool charities. Um, and I had a chance to work with him on different events, and I've interviewed him for the HR Chat Show. And that's, uh, that's Josh Siegel, who's the VP uh, Organizational Effectiveness over at Wave HQ. And um, Josh is one of the main... Uh, faces of, of the company. He's, he's all about the attraction uh, of employees and, and onboarding them and giving them a wonderful experience and then being that uh, advocate for why people should become what they call waivers over at Wave HQ. And in that particular episode, for example, we heard Josh's experiences of developing employees so that they can grow and progress within, within Wave HQ. Um, he spoke a lot about culture fit and if that's even the right term to use and perhaps instead we should look at um the behaviors and the potential behaviors of of candidates um and 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 how one aligns that with with the uh, the why of, of a business uh, using simon Sinek speak so uh for episode six chris uh once again why don't you share a couple of your two or three of your your major takeaways and and perhaps you can also align that with some of the things that you guys are doing over at Fidelo. Wonderful. Yeah, Joshua was great. Um I loved his energy around you know talking about the employee culture and and getting people to look to join the company and become a waiver. I think at one point in time I said I want to be a waiver. Um just because his energy was so high and and the story was so good. Uh so that's uh, so I kind of picked a couple more um obscure points from his piece, but I think they're really critical 
um, that are down there. You know, one of the questions, I think you were the one who asked him. I don't think it was me, but you talked about the learning development strategy um, needed to address, you know, the organization or, and the development of people in the organizations. And he kind of broke it down into two things. And, and we kind of do this as well, too, on it, but I like the, his phraseology of it, which was first was macro training. Macro training is, you know, hey, this is the stuff you got to do for organizational success. Everybody kind of has to do it, kind of gets you on board, kind of starts you into this process of um, becoming a waiver, because that's his term, um, you know, giving the core culture aspects of life and the fundamental focus on the mission, vision, values, those types of things that are out there, um, really trying to get it in there. And then, you know, in his L&D strategy, so that's one component of the macro level. And then the micro really gets down into the nitty gritty of the functional learning for where you're going. So when you look at it, when you do the macro and the micro, it gives you the opportunity to look at um, a holistic solution for learning and development for an organization, or at least from those label levels, uh, it gives you that. And, you know, that functional learning can be very technical or it could be more soft skills based upon where you're at. So if it's an HR professional, could be some soft skill stuff plus some technical stuff with legal as well as some you know things that we just talked about before us here on on voice and data analytics and so forth and so on so both soft skill and hard skill so you know it gives you that full component there and then once you get those pieces together you kind of create this this learning strategy which is which is critical for the organization and that and he was dealing with it from a small organization working to go towards a larger organization and which I thought was great because a lot of times smaller organizations don't do this. They don't focus on creating an L&D strategy or learning development strategy that addresses, you know, growth potential. You know, so as he looked at it, he kind of broke it down and said, you know, um, and he comes back and he says, you know, we really just continue, need to continue moving the skill sets forward. You know, the knowledge, skill and attributes of, of people need to become a focused personal journey really, um, for their own development. And that's key. And we're a strong believer in that too, is that, you know, it it really, you can't cheap dip as we call it, everybody, you know, everybody's not going to be pink. Everybody's not going to be orange and everybody's not going to be, you know, purple. You know, you need people that are a little pink, a little purple, a little orange, you know, um, and you got to get the right mix for it to go for the organization to be successful. And another aspect that I loved about when he was talking about these things is uh, one of the key principles that he learned over the years and focused on was thinking about scale. You know, if you don't think about scale and not just a three year projected, you know, opportunity for us to, you know, drive our culture forward in three years and we go from 50 employees to 500 employees, but also, you know, what does that look like when we, see that envision then backtrack through it and try to put in our milestones or our mile markers that we need to work towards from a development standpoint to get people there. Um, and it really helps in the planning process that's there. So not only the, you know, supporting of the, of the uh, acquisition model of hiring talent, uh, but also the formation of your culture and the, and the aspects of your learning and development plan as you, as you grow the organization and becomes and become strong and being focused. Um, you know, for we at our team at Fidelo, um, we we love putting together learning and development strategies that are based on skills, knowledge, and attributes. Um, we have a great process that can get us to those points. You know, to use um, Joshua's notes, both macro and micro, it's important. You know, but we also you know really feel that um, there's a lot of development that can occur that's not formal training. And I think that is something that sometimes gets missed uh, in the process. And it's really, it's really great for upskilling people um, as they move along the organization. If you put them into projects and assignments of uh, varied required skill levels and allow them to participate in those fully or with support and allows them to help gain that experience of moving forward along those lines. And, and it's, you know, it's cheaper and you're moving you, you know, towards a, a business end goal too. So there's a lot of things that we help organizations with looking from formal training product to informal training product. Uh, and then another thing is that we love the personal journey. And so we call it, you know, it's more of a prescriptive learning plan for you based upon either a skill and knowledge assessment or the opportunity to um, look at a career goal that you're going to try to achieve 
and seeing where your deltas are for your actions, but just kind of making a personalized development plan for you. So that prescriptive learning pathway uh, is something we help a lot of our clients to put in place. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of fun things to do with that. Like one, one of the things that we do a lot of times, because a lot of organizations give lip service to learning and development, <coughs> excuse me, um, and training your people, but they don't back it up. You know, they say, oh, I want my people to have 40 hours of training each year. And then they don't permit them the time to do that. And so we work a lot of times with performance management for um, variables for managers to make sure that you know, they've given that time to the employee. That's one of the performance metrics. So there's a lot of things we do along these lines. And just, you know, from a, a quick note, in the past, we've created full universities to these, you know, quick development needs for a specific skill or knowledge. And we also even helped create an accredited college years ago um, through things. And that's a fun story. Maybe that's another podcast for us sometime. So maybe it is indeed we can talk about this okay so um so far we've <clears throat> we've, we've covered most of the areas of of, uh, of an employee life cycle we've, we've we've spoken about selection and recruitment we've spoken about competency-based job profiles we've spoken about feedback performance management and development plans um we've, we've chatted about measuring engagement and the other the efforts and that was in relation to russell robinson of course um and we've spoken about culture engage and engagement um just now um and that was through the conversation that we had with with the awesome josh siegel uh the the last two episodes of, of the season before the wrap-up one that we're doing today of course they're, they're both kind of focused more generally on workforce planning uh, the, episode seven has, has a particular focus on on change management um and we'll talk about that in just a second and then um the the other episode of, of this season is episode eight which actually looks at rebuilding uh org-wide success but but firstly uh in, in terms of episode seven now that was with an awesome lady called Monthas Chaudhry. And um, she's also based in Vancouver, just like Karis Hoggedy. Um, and she's uh, she's Chief Experience Officer and Co-Founder at Prejudice Solutions. Uh, I was re-listening to, well, to all of the interviews today. Um, and But this this one really stuck out to me because I just found a lot of it very useful and, and very uh, very timely. And, and one of the things that really stuck out for me was... Um, <laughs> she said she said that uh too much change can um be terribly negative but at the same time there's so much change going on in our in our world right now you know our personal lives and in our work lives that you've just got to embrace it and uh if you if you can handle it you can handle extraordinary amounts of people changing jobs for example and all the recruitment efforts and and so on and so forth um and and you can maintain a, a strong company culture, then actually you're you're really well placed to come out of this, um, very, you know, pretty strong. So that's just some of my thoughts from from your side, Chris. Um, when it comes to episode seven with with Monthaz, what what are what are your two or three big takeaways? And and again, are there other things happening over at Fidelo that you guys are doing in in the area? Of change management that, that you'd like to highlight yeah wonderful I, you know change happens whether we like it or not i think that's a beautiful part about about it but i i too listened to everything again today in preparation for where we're coming down and and i think i took the most notes during her section because it was just it was jam-packed so i do encourage people if you've not listened to it or you know can't remember exactly what she said you know go back and, and listen to it you know for all of our all of our speakers too but this was really fun because uh, change happens. And, you know, I think in her life, she kind of hit the, the nail on the head at the beginning um, that change management is really all about relationships. Um, it's about your stakeholder relationships. It's about, you know, all your stakeholders. Um, but then it's also having a tool set, which is really an agile process, process um, to really address change head on and focus with it. And you know, she also asked, uh, highlighted another tool that they have, which is design thinking, which is, you know, think like the shareholder, the stakeholder, and then try to, to satisfy that need. So when you think about it, all that line, um, you really get some great concepts around, okay, this is what I need to do to address change, address my stakeholders, you know, make sure I have good relationships with everybody, focus on their needs, understand their needs, and then be able to quickly modify my process activities to support modifications that I need to do to accept this new way of doing business or this new thought process or, or however. 
um, you know, and she she put it out there. But she did hit, uh, you know, I think, Bill, you touched on it a little bit, you know, some challenges for change management. One was change fatigue um, that was out there. And, and I think it's I think it's important to note that change happens all the time. However, uh, corporate change, when you continue to do tons of change initiatives, it gets a little mundane for the workers. And I think that's the fatigue she's talking to. Um, you know, that it's just, you know, oh, what's our process today? Where are we going? Oh, that was different yesterday. So you get that fatigue that builds up there. So that's a, that's an issue that you need to kind of monitor and inspect. And when you're introducing new formal change plans, you know, kind of, you know, temper yourself and figure out where you're going and understand that stakeholder need that, you know, this is the fifth change to that process in the last, you know, 16 days. So, you know, how do we deal with it and how do we go from it? So just an example there. Uh, and that was my example on hers. Her, she's much better at it than I am with this discussion. Uh, but then one of the things that we see is huge every time we go to a client is that you're middle when, you know, especially for our HR world. And if we have an HR community listening, you know, sometimes you want to do something or even tasked to do it, but you don't have a purely defined sponsor at the C-suite level. Um, then it puts you kind of in a bind. Um, because it's no longer the champion that can stand up for what you're trying to put in place and say, hey, this is good, I believe in it, and move forward. It's kind of like, oh, this is coming from HR, oh, hum, you know. So making sure you have that sponsor is really important as you work for it. And then the other thing is, you know, sometimes we, we lose track. We're, we're trying to set up the process. We're trying to think about all the things we need to do effectively to get something, you know, from an A to Z in, in the modeling. But all of a sudden you realize, or you don't realize realize it, usually it's the case you don't realize it, but you've been poorly communicating this along the way. Um, and people aren't really sure understanding what you're doing, why you're doing it. They're not bought into the process that's there. You know, and then she also then highlights down a little bit low, lower that, you know, there are there are fixes for it, you know, for any change fatigue uh, and different things. But, you know, it, it, it kind of comes along with like monitor what's going on you know, keep a pulse on that. So maybe going back to Russ's thing with pulse surveys, keep a pulse on what's going on, keep a monitoring of what's there, you know, build your leaders, enable those leaders as stakeholders like they are, enable them with tools um, and communication tracks that they can move forward. And then as you continue to go forward, you know, monitor your, your implementation curve, you know, address changes if you need to, you know, so change within change, isn't that fun? Um, but, but put it on there and then focus on how the employees experience changes along the way. And if you do that and make it smooth, um, by understanding, and this is, this is a Fidelo statement here, you know, we do a lot with, you know, people when they when you're going through a change process and you're asking them to do something different, they need to know what to, <clears throat> they need to know what to know and, and as well as what they need to do and, and, you know, kind of how they need to feel as they go through that process. And when you start looking at each one of those stakeholder handoffs along the, those lines of no do and feel, you really kind of develop a, a good understanding of what needs to occur from either process flow change or the ability for a communication to, to reiterate that there. So, you know, I kind of melded in a little bit of the fideloisms there, but you know, this concept from her is that really, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for changes occurring. You know, she highlighted a couple from the pandemic, out of the pandemic, in that digital transformation is huge. Digital skill sets are going to be, you know, the, are the wave of the future because everybody's even more focused now than they were on that going forward. And then also, you know, it's a hybrid work and hybrid work environment. You know, I think she's quoted something, and I could be wrong with this, but eighty percent, you know, reimagination of work, of you know, I'm going to work three days in the office and two at home, or two in the office and three at home, you know, how do we get that? And how do we get that, you know, effective teams working back and forth, a lot of fun stuff there. And then also, um, you know, uh, focusing on the employee mental health and wellness, you know, we're coming out of this and, you know, most people don't know how to act or react to, to all the stuff that's just occurred the last 18 months or so. And people are thinking, okay, how do we do this? And so that aspect of, of focusing on employee mental health are really important from that change standpoint of we need to be addressing that or else we're going to lose valuable employees, you know, along the way and, and some great people. So at Fidelo, we kind of bring it in and, and, you know, we can help you um, 
with that change aspect. A lot of times we'll, we'll come in and we'll do a process redesign or we'll do a um, tool redesign. And when we do that kind of stuff, we kind of look to leverage the best of what you had before. So assuming you had something before, if we're not just, you know, clean sheet creating this from the, from the fly, you know, were there pieces of something you did before that were good and how could we carry that forward? So, because if you can introduce a positive change by using some very familiar aspects of what people have been doing to date, it lessens the degree of, um, of impact you're going to have from a change management standpoint and also allows them to feel that the work they've done in the past was still being valued and now it's moving forward. So it's just some things to think about when you're out there and, and we work on that. And, you know, our agility and our process design really helps to minimize the, you know, the concerns of changes uh, and change management as you roll forward. Now, one brand, one agency that doesn't need to worry about retaining their people and all the rest of it, it turns out, is, uh, is a little known space agency called NASA listeners I'm not sure if you've heard of them um and uh, the final episode of uh, of season one was with a chap from from nasa uh dr philip meads he's the co-founder of galahar edge and he's also the associate director of spaceport integration and services at nasa kennedy space center and um unfortunately chris wasn't able to join me on on this episode but the conversation skyrocketed ha 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 and uh it went in lovely directions and and uh and dr me had lots of interesting things to say particularly around uh how he led a, a change in the culture over, over at the uh, kennedy space center following the 2003 space shuttle columbia explosion um and the, the the actual reason for the explosion was a little bit of foam which was missing i think um it wasn't correctly placed but but it was so much more systemic than that in terms of the the checks and the, and the balances which were not in place and, and the accountability that wasn't in place um um and uh it, one of the things that he, he shared with me was was the fact that it's you know they have the opposite problem at nasa in, in terms of encouraging people to take time off and 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 and, and to leave now and, and and to go away for a couple of weeks at a time now because he's he's been integral in in creating a, a new culture um where, where there is there is that accountability and also respect and support for each other um chris from from what you heard from from that interview uh what what, do you, what, do, what are your two or three major takeaways and again are, are there any um uh fideloisms is that the term you use i like that are there any fideloisms that maybe you can throw in there and any, any examples of uh of ways that you and your team are, are working with it within the area of helping companies to um to restructure to reorganize to to regroup if you like um to, in, in in order to improve their processes i do like that term fideloisms um that is that's fun i think we're going to use that from now forward so i do appreciate that bill for giving me that there yeah and and like everybody else who's listening right now i had the chance to listen to this one because as you said i wasn't able to join in person when this occurred so the you know i thought it was really fascinating when their study was done that they they recognized that you know as much as it was a hardware issue it was a culture issue and, you know, a lot of times organizations can't see that there are cultural impacts to their pro productivity and their success. And so in this case, you know, they had to reshape and recraft their culture. And, and I, what I loved about it is that he came right out in the front of this and, and talked about, you know what, we need to be high performing, effective culture, you know, optimal where they're effective as we're putting it forward forward and then he kind of laid it out he goes you know first two things and i kind of they may be kind of similar in nature um and we're going to talk about that in a second but he referenced the high engagement people that are just doing the stuff they're engaged to the point where you know they may not want to go home and as you reference they may not be taking vacation so that high engagement you know and there's there's health issues with that but i'm not going to go there but you know, the reward of having a highly engaged workforce that's coming to life and being in person is a great thing. And then he also said, you know, their jobs, uh, based upon the, what they're doing, were having a positive impact on, on, on themselves and, and the lives of others around them. And so that positive positivity really focused from the high engagement um, to, you know, very productive impacting of people. 
Uh, it's great. You know, he, as he phrased it, it's a fun environment to work with. That's why one and two, I, the engagement and the, and the productivity kind of go together um, that are out there and give you the opportunity to look at it and, and say, that's a fun place to work. And we enjoy that. The last thing that he talked about in the effective culture, the high-performing effective culture, was organizational performance and market success increased. And it was great this way when he started talking about it. He's like, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, I spend time on crafting and shaping a culture, okay, that can create um, highly engaged and, and positive people, okay, down the line, does that do anything? And so he referenced a John Cotter study uh, that took place over 11 years, 207 companies in 22 industries. And he kind of referenced, well, that kind of he did, referenced that, you know, the ineffective um, cultures that they identified uh, over that time period of 11 years had a 1% increase in their net income. And then organizations that were deemed to have an effective culture high-performing effective culture had an increase of 756% of net income over that same 11 year period. Uh, You know, from there he had statistics on, on the increase in stock price and, you know, just different variables that are out there and showing astronomical differences between that highly effective culture space versus a a non um, effective culture space. So I think it was important for you to look at that and, you know, he did talk about a lot about team-based activities because, you know, one person doesn't, you know, just do it all. It's, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for a whole team to work. And he, and he highlighted those things there. But one of the other aspects that we, we focused on with him was, or you did, Bill, was he asked him about excellent leaders. And, you know, because when you have this highly engaged workforce, you need to have leaders that can channel and can direct and can enable and produce, you know, the results that you're looking for, but also, you know, give latitude and, and to the workers so they can do how they need to do to be, you know, engaged in the process. So in here, he kind of put through um, a couple of different ideas, which are, which are good just to, for us to think about. Again, we hear it often in different things or we hear pieces of it often, but he talked about you're working through others as an excellent leader. You're working through these other people and you need to be able to, take them to a higher place you need to be able to focus them in such a way that the sum of the parts outweighs the the parts themselves um and so you you need this organization uh, of people to outproduce you know one person sitting in a corner and another in another corner and you know he, he talked about people being willing followers for people when there's a high level of trust okay and that trust is out there and you know Stephen R. Covey has a has something on trust and um you know things that are, that are out there and as you start to look at that attribute there are a lot of good pieces to it but you know when you're looking at that you're what does it really mean and how do you do it you know you, you're a good listener um you're vulnerable okay it's not always that you're saying the, r- the right thing we talked a bit before um when we were looking I think it was with Russ on the voice of the of the employee you know, um, the know-it-all type leader that asks the questions that does nothing after it, you know, uh, or is offended by it and, you know, provides retribution. So when you think about it, you know, the concept of being vulnerable, you never really think of a leader as being vulnerable, but here it's highlighting it as a, as a real place. And then the other thing is willingness to delegate. Often, um, we, we tend to promote people who are great producers, and it's hard for them to delegate and do, you know, people management skills. So, but that willingness to delegate and to delegate correctly, I think is, is, is an important thing. And, and, and so does Philip in the, in that process that's out there. So he kind of put things in, in place for it. Um, you know, shaping that leader, putting it into a team-based approach, but I think the, the bottom line, and this is kind of where we're at with Fidelo is we're a preacher that culture is king. Um, and in this case, they had to reconstruct a culture. And so, you know, again, that's one of the things we can look at from an outside perspective and help define the culture if you can't define it inside. And, you know, either define it or redefine it and help you shape that way where you're moving forward. And then, you, you know, as the, and through that process, you really create, you know, we have created for clients, you know, deliverables and actions and processes and tools that really kind of help reshape a cultural image 
for an organization. And a lot of times we do this with organizations that are um, mergers and acquisitions. You see a lot of times there was a parent company and they're acquiring somebody else, but the work process is different. The style is different. The attitude is different. How do we migrate that together? And how do we, you know, build one up towards us? And, or how do we, you know, you know, sometimes it's like, we're not happy with either culture. So how do we create our own? And so we've been into those different scenarios, you know, with my clients and with our consultants and, and team, just helping to shape that vision for the organization. Chris, we are just about ready to wrap up this extra long episode for your listeners. But before we do, I would like to ask you the question that we ask of, uh, that we ask of our I guess each each time we have them on. However, I'd like to do it with a wee bit of a twist, if you don't mind. So um, the rephrased question for you, Chris, is from a culture and people processes perspective, what changes can leaders, HR pros and talent pros make today to put their company on a path to high performance? Excellent, Bill. Thank you very much. And yeah, and for those who've stayed this long, I hope this is worth it for you. <laughs> um, I, I think it is, but yeah, you know, really what I think is important for my HR our associates that are, that are here with us listening, it, it's really three things. First is culture, culture, culture. That's not three things, but it's just one it's culture. And, and I say it three times just because it's important. We stressed it and we highlighted it in different aspects through here. And this last one with Philip Mead really kind of stress on the culture of being as equally important to the disaster that occurred with the shuttlecraft Columbia as it was mechanical failures. And I think that's important for organizations, especially the HR teams to look at and say, this really is an influence. How we do things and, and how we get results really does make a difference in retaining and being productive and, and leveraging our strengths and keeping people around for a long time. Uh, assuming you want to. Um, so I'm, the, the thought here is weave culture, weave your culture into your processes and tools. Don't be ashamed of it. It's there. I know a lot of tools that, you know, you can't do that with because they were, you're doing a software as a service model and everybody does the same thing, you know, but if you need custom tools, you know, that plug for Fidelo, we can do that because when you integrate your culture into your tool sets and when you integrate it into your processes, it just drives it home it's it's a reinforcer of good things and it's important for you to do that and it makes it more fun uh for people as well too so that's what item one item two before thinking you know we've heard it called proactive today definitely uh same stuff but you know take a focused look at what you strategically want to do in the future and what your needs are and then take action accordingly Keep that forward thinking in place because if you'd rest on your laurels, that the changes that we've talked about before that happen all the time are going to, are going to blindside you. They're going to take you off your path. They're going to make you think, oh, wow, what did we do wrong? So you have to stay on that cusp of the activity and keep moving forward. Whether that's through thinking differently or, you know, taking on new um, people to help you think past it. You know, there's some, you know, some of these others you know, the concept of adding an artist to your mix allows you to have that creative vision moving forward. So, you know, five bucks to anybody finds that, um, call me back, uh, along that line. But anyway, be forward thinking and take action along those lines. And then the last one that I reference here for this, this season is really, you know, put your people in a place to succeed. Okay. It is important that your human element, your human capital, the, you know, that you have, the people that you have, the workers, the, you know, the, whatever you're going to call them, um, it, that they're able to succeed. So give them the tools that are there, give them the opportunities to succeed, give them the pathing to produce a, a, a longer career at your organization so that, you know, you maintain that organizational intelligence that rolls forward with them from day to day. You know, you know, give them the learning and development that are opportunities that are going to help them advance, give them the opportunity to change jobs inside your organization so they can get a different level of experience again, while maintaining that organizational integrity uh, and, or bring them back if they've gone outside, you know, and, you know, they were with you and then went someplace else and gained more knowledge and wisdom. And maybe that'll be a benefit to you, but give everybody 
in your organization that that pathing and that place to succeed and you're going to be successful yourself wonderful chris season one has been a bunch of fun and i'm super excited and happy that we've got season two and season three planned out yes that's right listeners season three is getting planned out as well we are thinking that far ahead in terms of the content we want to bring you over the course of the next uh, little while the next year in fact um so watch this space we are going to take a bit of a hiatus now um so this this episode is recorded in and going live in the first week of august and then we're taking a, a wee break and we'll be back uh the very first week of september with uh, season two and a bunch of awesome new guests and we're going to try some different formats with panels and various other things um so for now firstly to you chris thank you so much for being the guest this time i I hope it wasn't too uncomfortable for you your answers were fantastic sir well thank you thank you thank you very much it was fun bill it's always a pleasure to be with you i love your accent it just makes me think that I'm, i'm i'm sophisticated so i appreciate that what accent everybody else has an accent so i don't know what you're talking about um (laughs) i should have pointed that out to you sorry my apologies (laughs) and um, and my other thank you today goes to to uh the the guests that we've had on and of course to to our listeners uh to our to our growing number of listeners and our new podcast community thanks very much for supporting us so far please do come back again in early september where you'll hear lots of new awesome content and until then it's a goodbye from me and it's a goodbye from him thank you goodbye This podcast is supported by Fidelo Inc., a consulting firm specializing in improving human performance. Through their products and services, Fidelo helps clients design, develop, and implement strategic integrated human resource processes and systems. Learn more at fidelo.com. That's F-I-D-E-L-L-O.com.